from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. This is a special report. Assassins Incorporated. The Kremlin's Secret Squad of Killers. Part 3. Marina Litvinenko is her name. She's the widow of Alexander. She recalls his poisoning. And it was uh, so strong, so sudden. He became sick and it was topless and nothing could help him. In a few hours, he became very exhausted. And in a gut-wrenching accounting of what happened, she also leaves a warning for the U.S. Learn lessons as quickly as possible. Don't wait until something very bad happened on your land. Don't allow this. And better to prevent it than investigate it after. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C-4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. This is part three of our series, Assassins Incorporated, the Kremlin's secret squad of killers. Previously on episode 141, we told you the story of Paul Joyal, who was shot outside of his suburban Washington, D.C. home in 2007. He almost died. He spent months in a hospital, in a coma, on a breathing tube for what police said was a botched robbery. But nothing was stolen. He and many others believe he was attacked because he had just been seen on a Dateline NBC television program blaming Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin for the killing of his friend in the United Kingdom. By the way, two other people on that same program who pointed the finger at Putin as well ended up dead. The friend they accused Putin of killing was Alexander Litvinenko. And on this episode, we're going to bring you the story of what happened to him. And for those of you who've never heard it, and those of you who've heard it many times, you're going to hear some things in this podcast you've never heard before, coming straight from Alexander Litvinenko's widow, Marina. But first... It all depends from... On September 11th, 2018, I attended an event at the Atlantic Council titled Putin's Propaganda, Pushing Back Against Kremlin-Run Television. Marina Litvinenko was at that event, and I had a chance to ask her a question. Thank you for taking the question. My name's J.J. Green. I'm the national security correspondent at WTOP and the host of the Target USA podcast. Um, I'd like to ask Mrs. Litvinenko and Dr. Goldfarb a question. 
Mrs. Litvinenko, um, you've come here. Um, this is a very high-profile case and situation, something I and others have followed for the decade that it's been out there. What is it that you want to leave with this audience today? What is it that you want this audience to do? Um, first of all, I do understand not everything is easy to achieve. And after this long way for justice, I realize you need to be patient. You have to wait, and one day it will happen. Not without help, of course, and not without understanding from people. When we came two years ago to Washington to meet people and discuss what we can do with this public inquiry report, because it was real stuff, and we received a lot of support, but people being a little bit, um, how to say, not uh, uh, um, reserved in, a, in, a, in a, what they can do for us. And we discuss about Russia Today channel, and we said at least you can call this foreign agent. But then, two years ago, it was saying, mm, it might be difficult because, again, we have this freedom of speech, independency of journalists. But what happened? Russia today is foreign agent. And sometimes it's difficult to prove immediately what right things to do. And again, I do understand. You are in a very serious legal position. And I adopt democracy of my country, United Kingdom, and I'm very proud of this country as well. And I believe you would be strong enough to protect your democracy in your legal rights and everything. What actually we now try to find for is not only for Russia and for your country too, to prevent something you never know might be destroyed simply by propaganda. That was an exchange at the Atlantic Council in Washington, D.C. between myself and Marina Litvinenko. Shortly thereafter, we arranged a Skype conversation where we discussed in depth and in detail everything that took place with her husband in November of 2006 and everything that's taken place since then. Your audience have to know we were political asylum seekers in 2000. We left Russia because it was a dangerous place for us, not just for my husband, who became a big critic of Kremlin regime, but for his family, for me and for his little son. Our son was six years old then. And when we escaped from Russia and started our life in UK, we believed we stayed in a very safe place. On November 1st, 2006, Alexander Litvinenko didn't feel well. It started at home, and it was so strong, so sudden. Marina, his wife, tried everything she knew. I tried to help him with some domestic stuff. Thinking that he had a cold or the flu or maybe food poisoning. We just tried to understand, did he eat something unusual? Tried to calculate all his meetings he had day before. He wasn't responding to anything. In a few hours, he became very exhausted. And in those early hours of desperation, as they struggled to determine what was wrong, Sasha, as she called him, made a haunting remark that proved to be the prognosis that it would take doctors many days to get to the bottom of. Sasha made this comment, it looks very strange. It looks more like a chemical poisoning than food poisoning. And 
I was very, very um, disagree. I said, why? Why? Who could try to poison you and who might do this to you? And it all happened uh, two days. I mean, he stayed in the house for two days, but in the second day, his conditions became worse. And we first time called for ambulance. And when ambulance to come to second night to our house, uh, doctors said it's okay. It might be season flu. Better mm-hmm. to stay at home because in hospital, everybody has this kind of back and take him to hospital could make his condition even worse. Mm-hmm. He has very low temperature. He has a problem to breathe, but they decide to keep him at home. But in the following day, it became worse again. And when I asked the private doctor to come to see him, when he arrived, he immediately said, he's not a patient you need to keep at home. You better to send him to hospital. It's exactly when I called second time for ambulance. This time, they took him to the hospital, where he spent 19 agonizing days. And when Sasha was taken to hospital, uh, he looks very, very tired. It was difficult to believe how from a very sporty, very strong person, he became just like old man, just mm. for three days. When he was taken to hospital, I believed he now in a safe hands and doctor will immediately understand what happened to him. How long did it take after he got to the hospital before they figured out what was wrong with him? And what did you think when you heard the diagnosis? They couldn't uh, understand what happened to him because he treated from some uh, bacteria uh, called like E. coli bacteria. And uh, they uh, prescripted him uh, antibiotics. But it was a very uh, strange side effect because his immune system dropped to zero and they couldn't understand why and they tried to find uh, why it might happen. It took them 10 days to realize is it not because of this bacteria because symptoms what Sasha started to provide looked like a more radioactive poisoning mm-hmm. but for the, because he started to lose hair his skin became yellow color, his tissue uh, inside was uh, inflamed and he felt very, very bad. But when they tried to check him for radiation, it doesn't show at all. And they decided to check his blood for poisoning just the first time after 10 days. And it was just, uh, I think it was a 12th day of his illness when police became involved in this situation because his blood showed heavy metal. It means he was definitely poisoned. When did you first hear or understand that the Kremlin or Vladimir Putin was behind this poison? When Sasha was transformed to second hospital and Uh, Treatment became very serious, but still unknown uh, what kind of poisoning he had because he received antidote, but it didn't look, it was very helpful and his condition became worse and worse. And 
some friend of mine asked if Sasha would be happy to write some statement. That's Marina Litvinenko, widow of Alexander, detailing the great difficulty she faced from the moment he fell ill. But another type of difficulty was about to descend on her and her family as they struggled to get justice in pursuing the truth. And the truth started with that statement he was asked to make before he died. I was really not happy to do this because to write statement, it means to, to give up his fight and to believe you're going to die soon. Mm-hmm. But Sasha agreed. And when we return, In his statement, he blamed Vladimir Putin. Pointing the finger at the Kremlin's assassins when we continue with Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman's innovative C4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability, enabling faster, more assured decisions. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. This is a Target USA moment, episode 40. For Grace Joe's family, 1998 was the last straw. My grandmother, my younger brothers, um, they all passed away because of starvation. For six-year-old Grace and her younger brother, the food situation was extremely dire. My younger brother and I was were almost like uh, 10 days starved straight. Uh, we only drank uh, cold water and uh, there's no meal we can find. The public farms, um, we cannot find any small potatoes from the farm because other people, they already like found them. And um, the winter time, we can find like wood to burn and keep house warm. We don't have any food, we don't have any money, and there's no way we can make money either. They had to find a way out of North Korea. We uh, walked a lot and uh, we crossed the river by swimming, and uh, we also climbed the mountain. This has been a Target USA moment, episode 40. Download it. Relive it. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. This is a special report. Assassins Incorporated. The Kremlin's Secret Squad of Killers. Part 3. We've been talking with Marina Litvinenko, widow of Alexander. She's walked us through the painful days after he took ill. And now we're at the point where it's clear he was poisoned. But the question is, figuring out who did it. And in one of his many brave moments late in his life, he made the extraordinary and unusual step of naming his killer before he died. I was really not happy to do this because to write statement, it means to to give up his fight and to believe you're going to die soon. Mm-hmm. But Sasha agreed, and in his statement, he blamed Vladimir Putin of killing him. It was exactly from Sasha's words. But because Sasha was alive, it was decision not to take this statement to public. And everything was uh, saying only after Sasha's death. 
He died on November 23, 2006 of polonium-210 poisoning. Questions swirled about whether Vladimir Putin was involved. It was at that point we found ourselves in London, investigating. At least eight locations here in London show traces of radiation linked to the poisoning. But that trail leads all the way back to Russia. Individuals who just happen to represent the huge power blocks, money blocks, and of course, market and sectoral blocks. Dominic Armstrong of Aegis Defense Services. That's his way of saying Putin probably had nothing to do with it, but it could have been done with Putin in mind. Is it an ill-gauged gift uh, from somebody? Putin probably comes out worst of all from this. But is he someone who really could have masterminded it? I think that's very unlikely. Armstrong and a growing list of analysts think the clues are pointing towards a very short list of people, all sitting in high places, but keeping low profiles in Russia. And in the 12 years since then, a very well-established Western intelligence theory has emerged. There are people looking to impress Vladimir Putin that will go as far as committing murder. And as we continue our conversation with Marina Litvinenko, we discover that's exactly what happened. When Sasha did die, it was full investigation provided. And of course, there was a lot of comments who might be behind of this crime. And of course, it was a lot of comments about Sasha's statement and name of Vladimir Putin was every time linked to, to my husband's death. But only after proper investigation, and when I apply for inquest, and we had all right to see material what police uh, used for investigation, coroner Sir Robert Owen, in official way, said, I saw a material what might prove is a Russia state behind of this crime. And I would say it's exactly this point when it was real stuff, when we could say it's a Russia state behind of this crime. What did you feel when you heard that and when you understood that? You know, it's very difficult because since Sasha has died, everybody said it's only Russian who could kill him. But we should prove it because every time when you say without... Uh, evidence, it would be easy to another side to say it's all false, it's propaganda, you just try to make Russia's image to look bad. And uh, I try to keep my words until I receive this evidence. And it was um, extremely um, strong feeling after you could say this in a proper and right way after Sir Robert own provided this statement. I know it was hard to let him go. Um, can you share with us a few of your emotions when you knew that that was going to have to be the case? It, it was everything very emotional because I did this for my husband. I believed it's very important to understand and to prove who killed my husband. But of course, it became not only my personal case, it became very political and um, very high profile. And it became a big problem between two countries as Russia and United Kingdom. But it's not my fault. I did and I do what I believe. I believe for justice for my husband. And 
when it was a idea to go for inquest after five years since my husband was killed in 2011 i didn't expect it it take it could take so long way to uh, achieve uh, a first day of public inquiry because in 2011 we started in 2014 we just received a right for public inquiry in 2015 public inquiry started and only in 2016 public inquiry report was released mm-hmm. andre lugovoy and dmitry kotvan were the people that the uh, british government and the the investigation determined were the killers and um, to this day uh, they have not been they've not been taken into custody um, and it is your understanding that the, the Kremlin is protecting them. Is that correct? Yes, of course. When uh, first time we received name of Andrei Lugov as a prime suspect, it did happen on May 2007, uh, Putin immediately reacted as uh, we never ever extradite Russian people for justice. And after that, even more, uh, Andrei Lugovoy became a member of Russian parliament, and now it's 11 years he is a Russian a member of Russian uh, member of Russian parliament. I mean, what this for? Uh, how a person who never been famous for any political activities, only after he was asked for extradition for, for what he committed, became a politician. It's a first. And um, Koftun never received any grant, but he has this protection. But these people are suspects, and not only suspects. After public inquiry, when all evidence what police provided was released, and for people now not more question, these two men committed this crime. And they never tried to to uh, def- de- defend their name. They never came to UK for for justice. We know uh, United Kingdom is this uh, country that provided justice. And if you're innocent, you're never ever going to spend your life in prison. But they decide not to come. Even more, they try to say every time, they asked for a cooperation, but British authorities never allowed them to do this. It's absolutely untrue. And these people know they are criminal. They're not allowed to go to Europe. They're not allowed to go to America because they would be arrested. They might be have a brave face in Russia, but not abroad. And another thing, in United Kingdom, they have not a timing for criminal. I mean, it doesn't matter in a five years, in a 10 years, in a 20 years. If you are criminal, one day you would be punished. And to live with this meaning, I don't think it's a very easy. Again, they might have a brave, brave face, but they are a criminal front of all world. I saw you recently at uh, an Atlantic Council event in Washington, D.C., a few weeks ago, this being the 3rd of October 2018, and you spoke extensively about the danger 
of the Putin regime and the corruption in which that regime operates with and the danger that the world at large faces specifically by not knowing and understanding how they operate. What's your view for our audience of how that government, how that regime operates? Uh, first of all, it's already well known. This regime operated not only ruffles, they operated by radioactive material polonium, they operated by uh, chemical weapon Novichok, they operated by uh, propaganda-style media, they operated by corruption and is a very, very dangerous. When my husband decided to stand up against these people in 1998, he tried to prevent it. But it was very difficult to believe after Soviet Union collapsed, Russia might change, not in a better way, but in a so dramatical way. Because people who are in the top of Russia today is not only people from security service, is a criminal people. And ideology, what Russia has now, it's ideology of money. And when Russian people, ordinary Russian people will understand these people not thinking about them, they think only about their own pocket, it might change something. But until control of media and control of financial resource in the hands of these people, it would be very, very difficult to prove it. And when we went to Atlantic Council, we tried to talk about this a very dangerous weapon, but Russian propaganda, because they could make opinion not only Russian people, but they tried to use it to manipulate uh, people in United States, in United Kingdom, and in Europe. And we tried just to stop it. Marina, you know, um, a part of what you're talking about here is uh, a pattern of activity by the intelligence organizations in Russia and, the, you know, uh, basically killers, people who work on contract to, to do this. And since since your husband's death, there have been many other deaths of prominent Russians who've been uh, outspoken against the Putin regime in other places outside of, of Russia, including um, an attempted poisoning in uh, the UK earlier this year of the Skripals. Um, there was also the uh, attempted assassination of Paul Joyal in it, just outside of Washington in 2007, a year after uh, uh, your husband's death. Uh, and what this seems to suggest is that they are, are really, uh, they really are not bound to just operating inside of, of Russia. Uh, they will go anywhere to do this kind of activity, to do this kind of killing. Do you agree with that idea? No, first of all, of course, it looks very dangerous and people might be very frightening. And when you will talk about Russian, everybody will say, oh, my God, I don't like to talk about this because I would be killed. No, it would be a little bit too much. But situation is very serious because in 2006, uh, Russia provided some policy uh, allowed uh, for security service and from FSB is successor of KGB to take operation outside of Russia. And even they agreed to take action against uh, individual 
they would they may called uh, as um, extremist uh, terrorist and they could kill them even abroad what they tried to provide it and in 2006 uh, we tried to raise attention to this policy and how it might be very dangerous but then in 2006 uh, before my husband was assassinated. I can't say nobody took it serious, but it looks like uh, having a good relationship to Russia, it was more important to uh, make this concern. And after what happened to my husband, what happened to other people uh, and some unexplained deaths, after what happened to Sergei Skripal last, and his daughter Julia last March, it shows people uh, and foreign government took it very serious. And now it's a more and more discussion how you should to prevent it. What's your suggestion on how to prevent this kind of thing? If you're talking about um, criminal organization and criminal government, uh, we just uh, need to be sure people who connect into this government, and particularly uh, themselves, I mean this government, they are not allowed to have access to life for life abroad, to United States, to Europe, to United Kingdom. I mean, having business, it means it's a bloody business, and you need to understand these people are not welcome to democratical country. And until you will close your eyes, if these people benefited from Putin's regime and able to spend this money everywhere where they want, you just make a possible of all this assassination. And I believe it's very serious. You can compare this to Magnitsky Act. We have a names of people who be involved in all this money laundry and criminality connecting to this a lawyer who was uh, who died in prison in Russia. We have uh, another policy now about um, oligarchs in United Kingdom and all money what people brought to United Kingdom now would be checked for money laundry and all investment visa would be again checked. It's a very important. If we make a possible these people life uh, uh, difficult, they might be uh, in a situation they are not happy anymore with this regime because they'd like to collect this money from Russia, but they want to spend this money somewhere else. If they will not have this ability to spend this money, they would be not happy with this regime. And I think it's um, uh, maybe not only, but one very serious way how we could protect uh, uh, international society from this regime. Why do you think, Marina, Vladimir Putin conducts himself this way? Why do you think he runs this regime? Oh, it's a very difficult because uh, so many psychologists try to understand what in the head of Vladimir Putin, but uh, so many books were written about him, why he became um, such a monster or such a dictator or some a strong man. Because how do you know? Not everybody criticizes Putin. Somebody believes it's the only leader 
who can handle Russia, what I strongly disagree, because Russia doesn't need a leader like Putin, because he destroying is destroying Russia. But um, again, for me, it's a difficult to say uh, what in his head, but he is, is uh, so... 100% pure product of KGB. A person who doesn't trust nobody, who has no any um, excuse to anybody. I even could say, is he human or not? Because of all his behavior, doesn't show he has any empathy to people. In this case, uh, it's a very, very difficult for me to talk about him. I understand. You have spoken about him. You have spoken about the regime, which has been responsible. Let we let let's make no mistake about it. There have been numerous situations where they've been proven to be behind murders and attempted assassinations. Uh, you've spoken about him, and you've spoken against him. Do you feel any concern for your life? or your, your son's life, or your family's life? Do you feel any fear for your lives? Um, you know, I, I do say not more what sometimes people uh, say living in Russia. You can find a lot of um, very good journalists and politicians who criticize this regime, who criticize Putin himself, and doing as a very sharp and they are living in Russia, and I said they might be even in more more in danger. I would just try to provide my right for truth. I lost my husband, and I believe everything what I do, I do right. I have right to understand who killed my husband, why, and why people who committed this crime not just punished yet. And I, th I believe it's very important, not just for me, for my son, for friend of Sasha, but for many, many people, first of all, to believe they live in a right country with all these democratic rules and right for justice. And for Russian people, too, they do not have this right. But if they do change something in a country and they would be in the same position, and I think it's very important things for what and what I am doing now. What would your advice be to Americans um, knowing now? Um, and you, you're, you're, I'm sure, well aware of the case of Mikhail Lesson, who died here in Washington, D.C. Uh, yeah. In 2015. And his case, like that of Joyal, has not been solved yet. But there are many that believe that he was murdered by men that were people that were sent uh by the Kremlin. So what what would what would your response be to Americans that are concerned about the Kremlin uh, assassin activity in the US? Um, I would just advise to learn lessons as quickly as possible. Don't wait until something very bad happened in your land. Don't allow this. And better to prevent it than investigate it after. And study of modern Russia is very important. And Russia under this uh, regime, of course, it's a different country compared to Russia, what we do love everybody, this, this 
great history with incredible culture and with a beautiful people. But this regime provided a more a dangerous situation. And you need to know this. And again, I just ask to try better to prevent than to investigate cases after. Thank you so much for that. Um, is there uh, anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important as you tell the story? I would like to say uh, uh, how I do, how I did feel in America. It started to be more understanding for what happened in Russia now. Uh, before it was so far and people just sometimes couldn't understand what we're talking about. But after my last visit, I realized uh People even more concerned about what happened in London than sometimes uh, people in UK. And it's really, really serious. And um, because America is a very big country and um, understanding of the situation, it would be very helpful for everybody. Well, Marina, you've been absolutely brilliant, but I uh, have been told to expect that anyway in having this conversation with you. So thank you for your time and your sincere story. Is there anything thank else you. you'd like to add uh, before we end? No, I, I think I, I, I did everything what I tried to say and just want to thank you for this opportunity for me to talk to your audience and to bring my message. That is the strong, moving story of Marina Litvinenko, telling her husband's story, still fighting for justice, 12 years after Alexander Litvinenko was killed, 2006, in London, poisoned by polonium-210. Her quest continues. Our coverage will continue as well. And in our next episode of Assassins Incorporated, the Kremlin's secret squad of killers, we bring you the story of a man who faked his own death to stay alive and to expose the Kremlin's murderous ring of criminals. Well, I was uh, under threat of an assassination by the secret services of the Russian Federation. He revealed a simple murder-for-hire scheme that allegedly is the foundation of an elaborate network of killers that work to settle scores for Russia's rich and powerful. Um, contractor would uh, let it known that there is a contract and different or place several contracts and different uh, teams of perpetrators were competing and the, for this uh, job and whoever managed to do it first would have been paid. That's the story of Arkady Babchenko, a Russian journalist living in Ukraine who found himself suddenly in the bullseye. Coming up on our next edition, part four of our series, Assassins Incorporated, the Kremlin's secret squad of killers. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of you who've been listening since March of 2016 when we started up until now, and all of the new folks who've joined along the way, 52 countries. Thank you very much, each and every one of you, for your contributions to the Target USA podcast family. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. That's jgreen at wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at 
TUSA podcast. That's at Tango United Sierra Alpha podcast. And while you're here, please click subscribe. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C-4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.